Want entertainment designed just for you? Then check out customizable streaming TV from Xfinity. It makes your life simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity gives you customizable streaming TV options. Enjoy the most free shows anywhere on any device and even access your streaming apps right on your TV with X1. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello, you guys. It's Dr. Lowe. Thanks for tuning in to Dr. Lowe Radio, coming at you for another show. Tonight's topic is a very popular topic indeed. We are talking about bioidentical hormones with a very special guest. Very excited to have him on. Before I introduce our guest, I have a few announcements for you guys. Tomorrow is a very big day at my clinic, Shine Natural Medicine. We are turning one years old. We're a little baby, and we're celebrating our first birthday. So if you are in the area in San Diego, I'd love to see you there. We're celebrating a one year of just a really great year. I mean, I'm, I've, I, I'm really feeling blessed of how the year has gone. It's my first practice, and... Um, just couldn't really say, I mean, I'm, I'm just so beside myself how the year has gone and just want to celebrate. So tomorrow will be a really fun party. We're going to have music. We're going to have food, drinks, um, some fun raffles, and kind of a little mini uh, red carpet thing. So if you're in the area, please come by and check us out. That's tomorrow at 6 to 9. That's uh, November 19th at the clinic at Shine Natural Medicine. For more info, go to shinenaturalmedicine.com. Next week's show, we're also having a special guest, Dave Asprey from Bulletproof is going to be on the show to talk about his new book, Bulletproof Diet. So mark your calendars for that. It's November 25th next week, same time, Tuesday, 6 o'clock Pacific time. And, of course, you can listen to the recorded show and all previous shows at drlowradio.com. I have 127 shows recorded. So go ahead and check those out. And tonight's show is all about bioidentical hormones, really geared towards um, women of the menopausal age. Um, It's a very controversial topic. Some people say avoid hormones at all costs. They cause cancer. Other people say hormones are amazing and they keep you healthy and prevent heart disease and all kinds of other things. And there's people who are kind of in the middle. So let's talk about it tonight and kind of dive deeper into this topic. And we couldn't have anyone better than Dr. David Rosensweet on the show. He is a medical doctor. And I had the joy of learning from Dr. Rosensweet um, at some uh, medical conferences a few years back. I think I was a medical student back then, I'm pretty sure. But might have been a new doctor, and just loved learning from him. He's a wonderful teacher. He has a book that he wrote um, called The Target Method, A Woman's Guide to Navigating Menopause, and I'll let him tell you guys a little bit more about himself. So, Dr. Rosensweet, it's so great to have you here. Welcome to Dr. Low Radio. Well, hello, and I'm hoping you can hear me. I hear you perfectly fine. (laughs) Well, that's great. Well, Well, thank you. It's so great to have you on the show, and I don't know if you remember, but I was a student of yours. I I attended your lectures you gave with Dr. Jonathan Wright years ago, and I remember talking with you afterwards, just picking your brain. I was just like this sponge of knowledge. I wanted to learn so much from you, and I remember you telling me that your hippie name back in the day was Laser Night Sky. You actually told me that, so I don't know if if you remember (laughs) talking to me. (laughs) I don't remember the exact incident, but there you go. (laughs) 
Well, I know you probably talked to a lot of, you know, students, and you, I know you've lectured hundreds or thousands of people over the years, so, um, but it did make a lasting impression on me, and I, I've used a lot of your principles in my practice, so I just want to say thank you for that, and I would love to hear a little bit more about you, so tell me a little bit more about what got you into medicine. I'd love to hear more of your personal story. I know a lot of doctors on the show, they tend to have their own personal story years ago, maybe their own health issues or someone they knew. What got you into medicine and, and also in this kind of specialty of, um, of menopause and horse and hormones? Well, you know, somewhere deep inside, I knew I wanted to be a doctor from a very young age. I remember they asked us to write a high school civics, a freshman high school civics paper on what I was going to be when I was going to grow up, and I said, surgeon, and you know, I mm. believed it. And my uncles were doctors. I, I just wanted to be one always, and just went straight on through, and by the time I reached medical school, I felt like I had arrived in my church, my synagogue. Um, Mm -hmm. I felt like I was in a very sacred place. I loved medical school. And when I was graduating from medical school, on my graduation day, there was a class of 200 at the University of Michigan, and I was walking across the stage to receive my diploma. It was quite late in the the program, and while we were receiving our diplomas, the main dean was lecturing to the audience, and when I reached out my hand to grab my diploma, out of the main dean's mouth, lecturing to 2,000 people, including my mom and dad and grandparents, came the words, and physician, heal thyself, and I started slipping down to the ground and I went down pretty far. I didn't totally faint, but I missed my diploma. Gathered myself up and stood back up, grabbed my diploma, walked back into the group of students and walked through the group of students to backstage because I had broken out in a total body sweat. I was standing behind the stage and going, Oh my God, physician, heal thyself. Oh my God, I think I might have to do that. And what did he mean by heal? We hadn't learned anything about healing. <laughs> so there's some stories about how I embarked upon my career as a general doctor, delivering babies at home at first. And <laughs> and I, I came into menopause because as I grew older and as the as my patients grew older, it was just a natural course of events to start out delivering babies at home and 20 years later be encountering my patients going into menopause. And I was yeah. at that age demographic myself, and it really started when, oh, let's see, over 20 years ago, a patient that I knew well who was in her mid-40s came to me and said, I'm going absolutely crazy. And she was angry, and she was angry at me. And she said, I don't want you to think that you know who I am because I am extremely upset and don't make light of it. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't. And by coincidence, or serendipity, or however we're all divinely guided, I had just spoken to Dr. John Lee on the phone a couple times, and a pharmacist I had learned about progesterone. I gave her progesterone, and three weeks later, she called back and said, oh, my God, I'm back online. Thank you so much. I'm I'm all the way myself again. Wow. And that was very dramatic. And as you know, in the world of medicine, sometimes it's a significant long haul to help someone move from being very uncomfortable and very limited into feeling great. And there it was. It was almost as dramatic as delivering babies. 
the woman wow. had a dramatic response within three weeks with very little, just some progesterone. That was very impressive. But mm-hmm. I can't say that anything was deliberate on my part. So my life unfolds, my practice unfolded as those things do. And uh, I started seeing more and more women in menopause. And I love biochemistry, and there's a lot of words for you, Lauren. But <laughs> that's how, how I got into menopause. How many women have you treated in your in your career? Sorry to interrupt. How many women do you feel like you've treated with, with uh, menopause over the years? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Yeah. Yeah. And, and seen. And, and one of the things I, I, I really remember from your trainings is that it's exactly what your book is. It's the target method. You're very um, individualized with what you do for, for your patients. You don't have like a protocol, like everyone does this one thing. It's really listening to, to symptoms and, and adjusting accordingly, and I really liked that a lot. So um, I think this is a very individualized kind of thing, and, and I'd, I'd love to dive a bit deeper. First, I, I want to start with some of the fears around it because there are a lot of fears around hormones, and there's a lot of controversial information, a lot of bad information that's out there, and and also there are some risks too. It's not like we're, we can just pass out hormones like candy bars and just think that you know all is well. I know it depends on how the person's metabolizing them and the kind of hormones you're using and the delivery and all of that, but. Let's kind of dive into one of the, the concerns that women have is that I'm just going to delay taking hormones as long as possible until, like, that patient you just mentioned feels like a crazy person, can't handle any more, and I finally want to go on hormones because I, you know, am not myself and I'm going to kill my husband and my kids. and You know what I mean? <laughs> just all the things that women, they don't feel like themselves. So what's your, what are your views on that? Should women delay it as, as long as possible? Should they start to maybe look at doing some bioidenticals while they're sort of in perimenopause? Give us your take on that topic. Well, this opens up the lid to Pandora's box. There were several important questions in what you just asked there. One of them I'd like to address is always been the bottom line in medicine, do no harm. And, you know, in 2002, a great deal of concern was generated about the possible harm of hormones. And so the way I approach the whole subject is, how can we reduce risk to as minimum as possible? And I want to make a couple statements. One is, from my deep love of the medical literature and my my very significant time that I've spent in it, I'm going to make a statement that hormones do not cause cancer. Hormones do not cause cancer. And the other thing to think about there is that the medical literature has brought concern that they do. And yet when you burrow into the information there, here's what we learned, that in 2002, this unusual hormone, half of it is derived from horses, from pregnant mare urine, Premarin, and the other half of it is an artificial progestin, that particular combination was shown to have a small but statistically significant increase in the rate of breast cancer in arterial issues such as stroke, arterial sclerosis, the coronary arteries, etc. Small. Now, Premarin itself, estrogens derived from horses, half of which do not exist in the human female and some of which are known provocative, that was associated with a lessened risk for breast cancer, less than being not treated at all. The real culprit was this molecule called Prempro, and that one was removed from the market. The study was halted for Prempro, but the study 
carried on for Premarin itself. Now, the bioidentical literature, and there has been significant studies done with bioidentical hormones, the combination of bioidentical estrogen in the form of a biest or estradiol coupled with true bioidentical progesterone, that is associated with a lessened risk for cancer. That means a woman being treated with bioidentical hormones in menopause has less of a risk of getting cancer than a woman not being treated. So just to set the record straight, that's what anyone who cares deeply about penetrating the medical literature is going to discover. Now, where the fear comes from is this. We're all at risk. We're all at risk for serious illness. And the older we get, the higher the risks become. And there is a situation that if a woman develops breast cancer, a certain type of it, and it takes 10 to 15 years for a single cancer cell that changes genetically from a breast glandular cell into a cancer cell, for it to develop into an actual feelable, palpable lump, 10 to 15 years, there's a lot of reasons to develop cancer. And there's a, we, but really, it's all about the adversities we face of adverse nutrition, toxicity, adverse exercise, and the elephant in the room, emotional stress. These are the, the known reasons why we can get serious illness. And if a woman happens to develop a certain type of breast cancer that is genetically very similar to the parent glandular cell from which it derives, those cells, they look like and they behave like, and for the most part, breast glandular tissue. They have estrogen receptor sites in it. And if you give a woman estrogen who has developed a breast uh, cancer, the well-differentiated type, not the primitive type, that cancer will likely grow faster. So is the is the whole world free of risk? No. Are we at risk for cancer? Yes. And um, should a woman develop a well-differentiated breast cancer and you treat her with estrogen, that that cancer is probably going to go at a faster rate. I know Got that's it. a lot of words. No, it's that but it's important. Yeah, it's important to look at the full the full conversation because you know you can't just just demonize bioidentical hormones if it's really done properly and and you know looking at all the different ways to have it be safe. So let's say a woman does want to do bioidentical hormones. What are the ways that it can be that much more safe for her, assuming she doesn't have maybe like an early cancerous growth of the breast that is you know a, um, estrogen receptor positive? So what are some things she can do to help it become that much more safe while doing this treatment? If I can back up just a little bit. Sure. What I have been instructing doctors for a long time is I think it's very wise to pay attention to the risk that a woman has for not being treated with hormones. Mm. And that because when her hormones decline, she is uh, there's a near certainty that she's going to develop Weakness of the muscles, weakness of the muscle that supports the bladder, dryness of the vagina, leading to bladder issues and cough incontinence and having to urinate more at night and sleep disturbance and to osteoporosis and, uh, again, the loss of muscle of sarcopenia and cognitive issues all the way down to severe cognitive issues. The statement I made to doctors is there may or may not be risk associated with taking hormones, although I very much build the case 
including citations from the medical literature about um, that that risk is very iffy and not related to proper doses of the proper hormones. But there's near certainty of problems, very significant ones, from not being treated with hormones. I want to flip that subject of risk upside down, near, almost near certainty of developing very serious issues, uh, sarcopenia, the inability to stand up, and uh, the in, uh, inability to walk straight, and the, it makes it very easy to fall when, you, uh, when you're elderly and you don't have the muscle strength and fall onto osteoporotic bones and develop coronary artery disease from no hormones and, and the severe cognitive issues, near certainty in problems from not taking hormones. Mm-hmm. Now, to address your question. Well, yeah, and and also too like these different diseases that you don't see these in women who are in premenopausal years really like you know cardiovascular disease, memory decline, vaginal dryness, you know, weakness of muscles, all these different conditions. And when people are talking about and even just some of these cancers that we talk about, right? So it's like people are, they they think, "Oh, as you get older, you know, taking hormones, it's going to cause all these diseases." Well, well, and if that's is if that is the case, then women who have high levels of hormones would have these diseases in younger years. So it doesn't doesn't really make sense. These these hormones, in fact, are preventative and protective for these conditions that you mentioned. They are, and of course, it's a complex subject because younger women, younger men, we uh, were at less risk in general because of the vitality and well-being that we have, and hormones are certainly part of that. And yes, the yeah. loss of hormones is almost a near certainty of very significant issues. Yeah. So in your opinion, do you think that the benefits outweigh the risk of bioidentical hormones? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. the risks are minuscule compared to the benefits. Now, you mentioned individuality early on, and I don't think we can even approach medicine in tremendously general terms to me, it's always one person, one woman at a time, assessing assessing her situation. You know, what is it she at risk for? How is her general health, her vitality? What health adversities has she got going on? But, you know, almost in every case, with very few exceptions, the, yeah. the loss of hormones have such a profound deleterious effect, and the replenishing of hormones have such a strong life-supportive effect, they're not going to account for everything. There's so much more to life than hormones. But my goodness, hormones are very potent. And (laughs) to lose them has potent consequences, and to replenish them, it doesn't take much, by the way. Low doses uh, achieve so much. Yeah. uh, that, That can make such a difference for a person. Well, that leads me to my question. You said that, you know, low doses to relieve symptoms and to prevent disease. And and I'm curious about dosage because, you know, there's – I know you're very well versed in all the different ways hormones are prescribed, and there's lots of different um, views of how it's all done. And there's the, you know, the philosophy of having as low low hormone dosing as possible to take care of symptoms. And then there's the other side of the coin, like, you know, Wiley protocol is super high, getting it to to levels of – you know, a, a menstruating woman and and having a menstrual cycle all the way until death, you know. And we've had T.S. Wiley on the show long ago. We were talking mostly about her book on sleep, um, but I know that is her philosophy and many doctors kind of adhere to that type of dosing. So I'm curious about your view of that. And 
you know, and a lot of, I guess, follow-up questions come out of this, but is it that we should be using the dose just to reduce risk and symptoms? Do women need to be on a high amount that does have the period be a part of that? What's, what's your take with that? Well, here's what we know about hormones. They're very powerful. And what we know for certain, too, is that overdose or excessive dose of any hormone is going to cause trouble. It's not an if. It will Mm -hmm. cause trouble. For example, we've lived through eras of doctors treating with too much cortisol, cortisone, and there was definite consequences of that. Treatment with too much thyroid, definite consequences of that. And you can go right down, down the line. These are very powerful substances. Now, the flip side of that is the medical studies have been done on osteoporosis, on the health of the vagina, on cognitive function, on, uh, on sarcopenia. And the, the startling thing, and it took me several years to really understand this and get it, I had a, a, one of those eureka moments. I said, oh, my goodness, it doesn't take very much. It, does, it just does not take very much treatment. Very low doses can achieve protection of the bones, protection of the arteries. Protect, uh, restoration of the androgens can achieve protection of the muscles. It takes very little. And we know the numbers, and I don't need to give you the numbers right now, but uh, it just doesn't take very much. Now, I didn't approach menopause in that way because I was a man and... Um, when I started out in menopause, there was very little published or known. And I I thought, well, I'm just going to figure it out one woman at a time. And I'm going to use a principle that Dr. Alan Gaby taught me about how to uh, help people find their own thyroid doses. Is I'm going to start with a low dose and gradually increase it until they alleviate the symptoms of insufficiency because there's plenty of symptoms of ovarian hormone insufficiency like hot flashes, for example. We gradually increase the dose until a woman alleviates her symptoms of insufficiency. And should she increase the dose to where she starts experiencing symptoms of overdose, well, we have her back down. The process is called titration. The gradual increase of dose to alleviate symptoms of insufficiency, falling shy of or backing down to symptom, to if the symptoms of excess appear. For example, symptoms of excessive amount of estrogen You're going to get overstimulation of breast glandular tissue. You're going to get breast tenderness, breast fullness, breast pain even. So if a woman were to be gradually increasing her dose and she had breast tenderness, we'll have her back down. Well, what I learned over time, really, one woman at a time, and I had the great advantage of having state-of-the-art testing just to help me sort this out, is that over time I began to realize that it took so little to achieve Protection of the bones, restoration of cognitive function in most most all women, restoration of muscular strength sufficient to support the bladder, etc. It just took so little. Now, one thing that so many different commentators, I'm talking about medical doctors, professors of gynecology at Harvard and other places, it's almost uniform throughout the literature that high doses of hormones over long periods of time that's where we suspect the risk lies. I'm talking about robust doses. Now let me tell you something else. The philosophy of sustaining or or restoring menstrual periods, um, you know, there was a time I wondered about it, and yet I happened to encounter um, patients, women patients who were on 
these um, these these approaches to treating women in menopause that ha- that sustained the period or restored the period. And because I had state-of-the-art testing, I discovered that their hormone levels in their 24-hour urine testing were three to ten times the upper limit of normal in young women. This was a new experiment being done, treating women with doses so high that it was three to ten times the upper limit of normal. We've never seen anything like that. And that's the funny thing about trying to restore or sustain menstrual cycling. It does take very large doses. And that's what I think those who who are proponents of that don't really understand, that it takes three to ten times the levels of young women's hormone levels to keep that period going. It isn't just a matter of maintaining normal young person hormone levels. And how you get to learn that is you do 24-hour urine hormone testing. Blood test is not going to reveal that. Hmm. So to to say it outright, I am a low-dose guy. It just Mm -hmm. doesn't take much. I'm very adverse to robust doses, very adverse to it. I think it's, from all we know and from all that that is in the medical literature, giving high doses of hormones three to ten times what young women have, that's a that's a risk I, I I certainly wouldn't be willing to take myself. Yeah, I mean it's just you know it's kind of playing playing God a bit, right? Just doing something that's a little out of the norm of what the body would ever encounter. So and so when you're doing um, lab testing for patients to monitor their bioidentical dosing, are you doing that in the urine or are you doing um, serum testing? Um, serum testing is valuable in young women. But as soon as you start treating women with hormones, you run into this sampling uh, challenge. For example, if a woman took a hormone dose at 8 o'clock in the morning, when do you draw her blood? You draw it one hour after she took her dose, two hours after, four hours after. Really, you would want to hit the peak level, but women's absorption varies. Blood tests are very deceiving. They have such a time factor built into them. But when you're collecting urine for 24 hours, you get a real-time evaluation of the hormone levels that you're giving a woman, how much is actually making it into her body. I love the 24-hour urine hormone test. The practitioners that I respect the most have always advocated this. It didn't take me long to figure this out on my own. That um, there, I found very significant challenges in salivary hormone tests. People will argue with me about that. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone has their own approach. But uh, uh, for myself the, and the blood tests, there's so much have a timing issue involved. 24-hour urine tests. And in 24-hour urine tests, you also are able to get levels of the what the estrogens and the other hormones become in the process of being utilized, otherwise known as metabolites. And there are favorable and unfavorable favorable ways that a body can metabolize hormones, putting a woman, so we can identify risk by identifying the metabolites. You just can't do that in blood, and it would be cost prohibitive even if you could. Anywhere from $225 to $350 for a 24-hour urine test, we're talking about the best bargain in medicine. And, you know, it taught me so much of what I know, listening to women, treating them, following up on them, and seeing what the levels were in their body from the 24-hour urine hormone test, I'm a major advocate of the 24-hour urine hormone test. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I, I mean, in my practice, I for women who are younger, well, I'll do saliva testing because I am checking their cortisol, you know, throughout the day as well. And then for women who are on hormones, I'll do blood and also urine. So, um, yeah, I think that's why it's so important to work with a practitioner who knows really what they're doing because, like you're saying, just testing one way in all women is just not really going to cut it. So, um, if I may awesome. interrupt on this case, yeah. I think the problem that some of the advocates of these higher Doses, doses sufficient to um, sustain or get menses to return. What they were, the way they were assessing their patients, were through blood tests, and you just won't identify the high levels that exist through blood tests, where you will definitely pick it up on 24-hour urine. Right, right, yeah, exactly, and that's and that's going to be um, detecting some of those higher risk factors, I think, um, while you're taking those hormones. So. What about women who are in perimenopause? You know, we talked about some women, their fear is, oh, I don't want to take hormones until I feel like a total train wreck. Well, when do you think that women may look into starting to take some hormones? I know, you know, progesterone is one of the first hormones to drop in the 30s, which I'm kind of creeping up to that. I'm 33 myself, so I'm getting there myself. So when do you see that women may want to start supporting hormones? Um, You know, uh, what age and which ones do you typically, you know, use first? I'm so glad you circled back to this. You had mentioned this question earlier, and I had uh, <laughs> I forgot it myself. <laughs> yeah, you know, in anything in medicine, the earlier we can catch something, the easier it is to deal with it. And without a doubt, the earlier that we start addressing these hormone insufficiencies, the easier it is, and the healthier it is for the woman. Because if she's off of, if she's getting declining hormones, there's actual physiologic and anatomic deleterious effects to being off these hormones. So like you just mentioned, one of the very first things that happens that uh, can really slip by clinical understanding is the decline of progesterone. And it declines earlier than estrogen does in general, and it declines more precipitously. So one of the very best things we can do is identify the time in a woman in her 30s where her progesterone starts to decline. And it's not hard to do that. Because progesterone and estrogen are in this exquisite balance. Estrogen stimulates, progesterone calms. And when that calming effect of progesterone is gone, you get overstimulation of breast glandular tissue. So women get um, fuller breasts, more tender breasts. They get overstimulation of the uterus so they can get uterine cramps and the return of PMS. And progesterone's wonderful calming and calming mental, uh, mental effects can occur so women can get more irritable and have mood disturbance. And there are many ways to clinically pick up on the decline of progesterone, which occur first. And, oh, yeah, a simple progesterone cream caught as early as you possibly can uh, is the very best thing a woman can do. And then as her estrogen starts to decline, pick it up early. Oh, it's so much easier to deal with. But, you know, pick it up at any age, and it's valuable. One of the things I've, I've learned from treating women in their 80s and 90s is gosh, you can do good in their 80s and 90s. So I never say don't don't worry when you pick it up. Pick it up as early as you can. But when you pick it up, when you decide to do it, that's a good time. <laughs> Whenever that is, even in your mid 80s or or 90s. So the key is having a woman in her 30s, say myself or other women in my case, check see what the levels are looking like, and if it's needed to support progesterone, then go ahead and do that and not be so afraid to to do that. I think some people are just so fundamentally opposed, like, I'm not going to do it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, we 
it is a common attitude that we're better off just going natural. Right. And uh, letting life unfold as it's going to unfold. And one can make a strong case for that. But at the same time, every single one of us have gone through adversities of nutrition, toxicity, exercise, too much or too little, and emotional and cognitive and life stress that they don't do well with. And this takes a premature, um, this is, these are premature forces that can cause premature decline in so many of our functions. So it's not like we're dealing with the natural human being to begin with. Because by the right. time someone's in their 30s, they've had enough of these events, enough of these adversities, that they're in a, a state of beyond natural health. They're into states where it would be good to pay attention and remedy what you could. And hormone decline is pos- is part of what that is. So, I, you know, everyone has their approach to living, and I just want to give you my best shot. It's as these hormones decline, try and pick up on it as soon as you can and replenish it at uh, proper levels, not trying to restore youthful levels. We don't need to be eternally in our 20s. But when those levels drop low enough to be health adverse, we can replenish enough to bring us into decent levels. And how does this affect fertility for women as they get older, with the progesterone specifically? You know, I don't know. I mean, as a woman loses her progesterone, fertility is harder and harder and harder. Progesterone, the the name itself gives a clue to what it does. It's progestational. So any woman who doesn't have sufficient progesterone will not be able to sustain a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Now, can you remedy that? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, treating women in their mid and late 30s with progesterone can can help in the conception process, but one could make a strong case that uh, better to get, if you're planning to have children, better to have it in your late 20s or early 30s. You know, mm-hmm. hold off long enough to have stable, successful marriages and to do the youthful living we want to do, but don't hold off too long, or adoption is a very reasonable option if you want to have children. Right. I was giggling with my staff uh, today. For some reason, the last two weeks has been like just just uh, surprise pregnancy week for, for so many of my patients. I'm just laughing. It's making me laugh about it. I had a patient at 46, got pregnant out of nowhere, not expecting. I think we've had four other patients just... You know, and it, we weren't even, we actually, I think a couple of them we were doing progesterone, but for the most part, just doing kind of naturopathic treatments, and they got fertile as a side effect, which is so cool. So um, just a side note I was thinking of. It's, it's that awesome. is so cool. Um, <laughs> very unexpected ones. I'm like, uh-oh, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Um, so you mentioned about women in their 80s taking hormones. So do you think that women should stop taking hormones at a certain age? Or like you said, is it something they can just take, you know, just for disease prevention and, and longevity? Well, um, I've had the privilege to be treating women of all ages. And, you know, when you survey a great number of women in their 80s in their 90s, uh, there's a lot of symptoms going on beyond the scenes. And these symptoms are quite explainable. For example, when you lose your androgens and the queen of the androgens is testosterone, 
when a woman loses her testosterone, she starts losing muscle mass. And, you know, many men and women can identify the loss of muscle mass by having flab in the triceps area as the triceps muscle gets replaced by fat. And so the under the under the arms there, it gets a little flabby. Well, that's taking place everywhere in the body. And these elderly women get in very specific difficulties. They lose the muscular support of their bladder. Their bladder starts dropping. They start getting cough incontinence. They start peeing more at night, as I was mentioning. They wind up in depends. Those artificial, like, underpants, they're, you know, very absorbent, like uh, like sophisticated diapers. And I can tell you, women don't like that. And yet it's a fairly predictable thing. I mean, this depends, sell by the millions and millions, because you've got to have bladder health. Uh, you've mm-hmm. got to have bladder muscular support in order to not get in that urinary problems. And, you know, by the 80s and maybe even in the 70s, women are having these problems, and they don't like it once they've made it that far. And then their bones. You know, without hormones, especially estrogen, and also progesterone and testosterone, these bones get very thin, osteoporosis. And one of the commonest problems of elderly women is they break their hips, and they wind up in the hospital, and they wind up in wheelchairs, and wind up with operations of artificial hips. Now, that can be that can be life-saving at times, but my God, it's a lot to go through. And then why do they fall? Because if you look at elderly women's um, legs and thighs, for unless they are very significantly overweight, you can see how thin they are, and they have trouble standing and and having and walking with a very steady gait. And you know, so much so many of the stories are. I turned in the kitchen, just turning to the right, and I fell on my hip and fractured and was in the hospital. Right. These these are very rough consequences for the elderly and. You know, if you survey physical therapists, for example, who are dealing with the elderly, they're trying to help them get out of a chair. They're trying to help them walk without a walker. And I can tell you the women would prefer to walk, uh, at most with a cane, and they prefer to be able to get out of a chair. And this is muscle mass loss. This is androgen loss for the most part, testosterone again. And then vaginal dryness, you know, as you you get into low estrogen levels, it's a guarantee a woman is going to develop vaginal atrophy. And that is, uh, since the the tube that empties the bladder, the urethra, empties into the vagina, it gets irritated by that, uh, the thinning of that vagina, and this leads to urinary problems. This is another reason why the women have urinary frequency and have to get up at night at urine. Now, I could go on and on, and I've left out coronary, and I've left out cognitive. Oh, my God. You start (laughs) dealing with the elderly women, and they start getting into varying levels of cognitive decline. So do elderly men. And I can tell you, as a physician, it's extremely rewarding to help a woman come back into decent cognition after she's been slipping into cognitive decline by treating uh, with hormones. Uh, We make it easier for the elderly. We've developed a a combination of hormones, which I never use in the younger women. Mm-hmm. But in the elderly, we want to have it be simple for them, so we have a formulation that they put one pump on their forearm of this gel on, and rub it into their forearms once a day, and it has bias, it has progesterone, it has testosterone, DHEA, and pregnenolone for the brain in it. So 
we very I'm very much interested in treating the elderly. And That's great. Um, we have videos on our website of a, a couple elderly women, actually my mother and my mother in law. <laughs> very significant benefit from being treated because they didn't they were never treated with hormones until they were in their mid eighties. Yeah. And then they had very significant recovery. The one of my mother in law she couldn't get out of a chair, and then we've got that video of her after she took some hormones of getting off of a soft, low couch, not using her hands. That's very oh. unusual for an elderly woman. I'm, I'm waxing uh, with, uh, thoroughly on this because <laughs> it's very rewarding to help the elderly. It's rewarding to them themselves. It's rewarding to their family. Uh, they like to be able to walk and talk and get out of chairs, and they don't like it very much when they can't. Yeah. And so yeah, I'm very much an advocate. Of well, my mom the isn't. She's my mom isn't elderly yet, but uh, but I I can relate to to this. And I became a doctor because I wanted to be able to treat my my family, my future family, my friends. Um, and I got to tell you, my mom, and, and I'm sure she's cool with me sharing this, um, but she had a surgical menopause in her 30s um, and had her ovaries removed in her 40s, and she became a different human being. You know, her sparkle just left. I mean, her her humor was different. She used to be the funniest person in the room, and she just changed. And it wasn't until, I think, 10, 15 years later, too bad it was that long, um, we put her on some bioidentical hormones, and she just came back. I mean, her funniness is back. Her her skin got you know more moisturized. Her hair got shinier. Um, it was just great. I know her relationship with my dad got much better because they had their spark back and everything. And um, it never went away, but it got spark sparkier. It got you know more exciting with them, of course. And um, so yeah, I'm just a firm believer in this. And I think it's um, it's it's just hormones are so vital for for just a woman and her feeling like a woman i think so um yeah that's amazing and and so the the website that pe- people can go to to check this out is the targetmethod.com right yes it is okay okay awesome there's one other thing that i think would uh, might interest you Lauren um these transdermal hormones if i may say so is it okay if i sure talk about uh, what these hormones are carried in what they're yeah, please, dissolve. please go into it. Um, the as anyone who studies hormones will discover that estrogen and testosterone must be administered transdermally. They should not be taken by mouth. Now, having said that, if you've taken estrogen by mouth, uh, so many women have done fine. But the 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 proper way to do it, and the one that reduces risk enormously, is by applying these hormones to the skin. Well, these hormones are. Fat-soluble only. That means they do not dissolve in water. And, in fact, they're poorly fat-soluble. And in order to get them up into creams and gels, you have to use very strong solvents. And I found this out after about being five years into treating women in menopause. I opened a jar of one of these transdermal hormones, and it smelled like a strong solvent. It smelled like alcohol plus something else. And, indeed, they have to do that. Pharmacists have to get them into solution if they want to apply the exact same dose every day by using whatever increment you're using. Well, I was thinking by that time, my goodness, I've been asking women to apply bias twice a day and, the, and progesterone once a day. This adds up over the years, and this is what they're applying to the skin. And I started looking up some of the chemical properties of what these hormones are dissolved in, and I was not enjoying what I found. And one of the things uh, that we came up with 
was putting these hormones in a suspension of organic oils. So when you stop to think that what's in a jar is 99.3% carrier, or these solvents, and three-tenths of a percent hormone, because it takes that much carrier to get things in the solution, I, we wanted a better way. And what we did is we developed these little bottles of organic oils that you do have to shake the bottle because you have to bring them up into suspension. These hormones aren't dissolved. But we, I, I feel so much safer. I'm an organic guy myself. I have been all my adult life. <clears throat> we feel so much better about suggesting that women rub these organic oils into their skin that contain the hormones, <clears throat> excuse me, rather than use transdermals with solvents in them. So organic oils, I think it's a wonderful way to go. And so many of my women who, they're very much care about what they rub into their skin. They're very well aware, well aware of possible toxicity. And I don't want to scare any women who are using traditional compounded hormones. They're they're fine, but, you know, why not go all the way? That's one of the goals in our practice is how safe can we make this? How safe and elegant Absolutely. can we make it? And there's, that's one of the principles to me is is to use these uh, hormones that are in the organic oils. And Absolutely. people can learn about yeah. that on my web as well. At the targetmethod.com. And in my book. Awesome. Yeah. My book is on that website, uh, the book that you mentioned, and in fact, uh, I think our our staff is offering five dollar discount to the to the book uh, for those. Oh, that's who right. Your um, show and there's there is a key. Yeah, the <laughs> discount code is Doctor Low. So D R L O. If you go to thetargetmethod.com, you can type in Doctor Low and you'll get a discount on on the book. That's so nice of you guys to offer that for my listeners. Thank you. Yeah, and and we um, describe I describe in significant detail about the organic oils and the differences between what these hormones are carried in in the book. Great. I have one last question about safety just because I will be bummed if I forgot to ask it. So um, for patients that you have had who have had a personal history of cancer, let's say they had breast cancer at one point, let's say they got a mastectomy or they got treatment and they're cancer-free, is this someone who you feel confident can go on bioidenticals in the future? Um, how do you handle that? And then second question is about what there's a family history of cancer. I'm curious about how you how you handle those cases. Um, first question first. Um, this is where individualization and working with someone who is really well-trained in this field matters so much. Mm-hmm. Um we we do. I personally have treated women who've had breast cancer, but I can tell you, every case that I have, it's a whole different approach, in the sense that um, the level of scrutinization, the level of testing, the uh, level of uh, defining the actual risk, the level of understanding the cancer that she had, we're on a slippery slope um, there. And you know, things have gone different ways for different women. There are many women who've had breast cancer who are being treated by hormones. The literature is uh, has a significant amount of studies that have shown that this can be a benefit. It's not a clear-cut field. Um, there's there's suggestions that it can be of risk, so it's the, that it requires the highest of individualization by someone who really knows their stuff in in working with women's and hormones. This is the most complex question. Of course, you would ask it. You know, <laughs> at the very <laughs> end. <laughs> <laughs> that exists in the field of treating women with hormones. There would be no blanket statement I could make on it, but uh, I have gone um, and, and treated some of these women because sometimes their life has become so
so difficult for them without right. the hormones that they yeah. themselves say, listen, I don't know if it's just a matter of risk. I can't go on living like this, so let's right. look into it and see how to approach this. And I can say that there's a lot of women who've had breast cancer who are being treated with hormones by many practitioners around the country, and I think with great care and great scrutiny and uh, identifying risk factors and seeing if there are significant ongoing risk factors that make the woman vulnerable to a recurrence of cancer to begin with, all of these things. And, you know, um, in your field you know so well that there's so much that can be done to bolster health. Well, these are the most vigorous and robust programs that we do for all-around health. Mm-hmm. And um, so I can't give you a, a flat answer on should women yep. who've had breast cancer Very- be treated with hormones. I say this is a matter for the individual and individualization, and one can make a case for treatment in some cases and a case for not treatment in others. Sounds like a great answer to me, and it, it just really depends on the person and um, and and so important it is to work with a doctor who knows all of these little nuances. And you actually have um, women can go on your website and find a physician, right? So the targetmethod.com is it? Do you work with patients um, from a distance, or how can people work with you? Well, um, at this point, with the level of commitments that I have, I'm, I'm I do not have any space to take new patients. And yet one of my major focuses over the last 10 years has been to train physicians. And uh, so we have the Target Method website is really uh, primarily a website for uh, teaching practicing physicians and nurse practitioners who want to become, uh, gain expertise in this field of treating women in menopause. There's a 15-hour program and a whole uh, lot of other extensive uh, ancillary aids to treating women in, in menopause. On our website, that's the main thing it's about. And right now, there we've treated 80. I mean, we've been teaching. Uh, we have 80 uh, people throughout the United States, professionals who have taken the target method, and we keep on training more and more. So a woman can go to our website, f- look for the find a, a doctor, um, and click on that and fill in their name and their zip code. And very often, we can link them up with someone who is uh, friendly to these methods, has been trained in them and we just email them the doctor's contact information. That's one way we can do it. And then, you know, we're not the only one training uh, doctors and nurse practitioners and treating women in menopause. My goodness, uh, there's many, many training programs out there, and if they can, uh, it's not hard to find someone in a reasonable proximity to you who has um, been interested in bioidentical hormones and... Um, uh, has a certain level of expertise in them. And, in fact, if you have a, a, your own a physician or nurse practitioner who's interested in them, what I do, and I spend a lot of my time doing, is I'll consult with anyone's nurse practitioner or physician for no charge to assist them in handling uh, any individual woman's case out there if they are interested in the methods that we use. So that's wow. a service we do offer, and that's where I'm spending the majority of my time. That's amazing. So for you guys listening, if you're working with a doctor or a nurse practitioner who you love working with and you want them to adopt some of these um, tools, then they can work with Dr. Rosensweet and, and get more information. So that is so great you offer that. Yeah, they can. Uh, I, I offer to discuss any case with any of them. And uh, then also if they get interested enough, they can go and get our own training program. Well, there's a lot of doctors and nurse practitioners out there that know a lot and have quite a bit of experience 
and they just want to do the organic oils, and it's just a, 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 a not long phone call in which I can describe to them because they have so much background understanding. Here's how you do it. Here's where you get them. Here's, uh, here's how you start the women off. Here's uh, some suggested dosages. And we make it as easy as we can for them to uh, uh, obtain those organic oils. Awesome. And well, in their practice. I, Dr. Rosenstein, it has been just a, an honor having you on the show. I mean, I've I've really I've loved your work for years and years, and it's it's I couldn't even express how much of an honor it is to, to have you on. So thank you so much for joining me tonight. Um, do you have any parting words for our listeners? Well, thank you to you. Um, <laughs> it's it's a privilege to be interviewed by you, Lauren. I can I have such a sense of your energy and your vitality and your enthusiasm. And how great the, the work that you're doing here, getting uh, all this information out in, in such a widespread way. And so my parting words are, thank you. Awesome. Well, Doc, I hope you have a wonderful night. Enjoy your, your evening, and I'm sure our, our paths will cross soon. All right. That would be great. Thank you. Take care. Good night. All right, you guys, that is our show. Definitely check out thetargetmethod.com. I love this book. Um, one of the things I love about this book is it's something that doctors can read and also just general public. It's something it's, it's easy to understand, so I recommend for, for you guys who are interested in learning about hormones, maybe you want to look into maybe taking them yourself, or um, for you doctors or medical students out there, I highly recommend the book, The Target Method. So awesome interview. Um, next week's show, we're going to have Dave Asprey on. He is the Bulletproof executive. We're t- going to talk about his book, The Bulletproof Diet, and how you can actually have a bulletproof Thanksgiving. So check that show out next week. You can listen to all the other shows at drlowradio.com. I'm Dr. Lauren Noel. Thanks for listening, and I'll check you guys next week. Bye. North Pole Hotline. Help! My in-laws are hosting Thanksgiving, and we're bringing the dressing. You mean stuffing? No, dressing. I need cute outfits for everyone. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's kicking off the holidays with stylish denim, velvet tops, the season's best dresses, and 40% off your entire purchase now through Tuesday. 40% off? We'll be stuffing our shopping bags full. And don't forget colorful sweaters and amazing outerwear, too. You can even buy online and pick up in store for free. Ooh, I love an all-you-can-wear buffet. Holiday your heart out at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1118 to 1120. Exclusion supplies. See stores for details. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10.